and welcome back to Study Plus, the occasional podcast uh, that we are doing here at Calvary Philly. I am Brian Weed, and I'm here with Mike Foch. What's up? Hey, everybody. <laughs> and as we have said, I think this is the third one. So haven't been many of these, but we are picking topics as Mike teaches through 1 Corinthians on Wednesday nights here at Calvary Philly. The kinds of things that are important, but that maybe Mike had decided not to spend too much time on during the main Bible study here with the church. But we are hoping that you guys are enjoying listening to these explorations as we really have some time to go a little bit uh, further down some avenues maybe that we're not going to do with uh, the congregation in person here. So, yeah. So they'll be uh, not always regular, but imminent. Oh, wow. There will be an imminent study plus. That's good. <laughs> we should do a study plus on imminence. <laughs> That's true, actually. So you never know. It could At any you time, we could drop a new study plus episode. So you always have to be ready. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to talk about uh, something, an issue that comes up, a subject that comes up in 1 Corinthians 10 in the first uh, really 11 verses. And it's exemplified by a word that Paul uses twice in these verses. And the way he uses the word really gets us into some very interesting and I think helpful discussions about both how we read the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, and then how those of us that are tasked with teaching the Bible, how we actually teach uh, especially the Old Testament and especially the stories in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So here's a scripture and Mike, uh, we are we wanted to note we're recording this a little before you actually teach this passage. Yeah, so we we went through the the whole book really, kind of highlighting certain topics that we thought it might be good to add something to. Again, we we want to keep as we teach the Word of God the focus, what the emphasis of the Word of God is in that passage. But there's always plenty of applications and other kind of systematic things yeah. that you can pull out. So that's again what these are. Um, and, uh, we had a, a cancellation service, so we're, we're recording this one ahead of time. The night of smoke happened yeah, which just is the fine. other day. Yes. But we're not winging it. We did talk through these things. <laughs> well, mostly not winging it. When you do a podcast, you have to kind of make it sound like you're winging it, but be really prepared. <laughs> there, there you go. There's the secret. So first Corinthians 10 verse one, I'm going to read the scriptures and then we will get into this, uh, really interesting thing that Paul brings up. He says, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, and did not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, 
but with the temptation, will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So, I read a little further, actually. I read all the way to verse 14 there, but uh, the word, Mike, that we wanted to highlight here uh, comes up. Really, it's a, it's two different words, but they're based on the same root in verse 7 and verse 11. Uh, sorry, verse 6. <laughs> verse 6 and verse 11. And it's the word that in the English here, in the New King James, gets translated both times, two slightly different words translated both times as examples. Yeah, so we obviously... When, when we get to that section, we're going to talk about what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. Right. Temptation being the larger context, the people of God in the middle of these things, making certain mistakes in relation to sexual immorality, idolatry, complaining. There's, there's a lot there that Paul is specifically saying to them, which is the focus of the passage. But how he's saying it to them is also important. And how he's reading the Old Testament is what becomes important, particularly with these two pictures here of the Old Testament being an example and the way it's an example yes. to people. So that's what we wanted to pull out because we think there, for the normal person kind of reading the Bible or going through this, there's different types of messages on how we read the Bible and the types of examples it gives us. And that's why we felt like this was important and helpful. Yeah, this isn't only a sort of Bible trivia thing. This is something where if you know what to pay attention for and you listen to teachers from across the evangelical spectrum, you're going to actually hear people teach sometimes something really different than what we're about to say. And so, uh, of course, this is not a combative podcast, but we wanted to know. So the word that we wanted to, to bring up, or the Greek word, and like I said, it's actually two words, but they're related to the same root. So in verse 6, Paul says, these things became our examples. And then in verse 11, he says, all these things happened to them as examples. In verse 6, that word example translates the Greek word tupas. And in verse 11, uh, the word example translates the Greek word uh, tupikos. So uh, slightly different words. I believe one is a noun and one is an adjective. I should check that, but it's something like that. Uh, but they both come from that that T-U-P uh, root. And so if you look that up in a lexicon, Blue Letter Bible or something like that, you're going to find out that those Greek words come from, uh, there's, a, there's a literal and a figurative meaning, and obviously those meanings are related. So the literal meaning has to do with a blow, by, by which we mean like a hit or a strike when, 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 when a blacksmith takes a hammer and gives a gives a blow, a strike to a piece of metal. And so that this is the word for that striking. And then by extension, it's the word that they would have used for the mark left by that strike. So if a blacksmith takes a hammer and strikes a piece of red hot metal, what he does is the tupas and what it leaves in the metal, that that indentation is a tupas, right? And so then they began to use the word for anything that, that you would have made by striking. So if you strike the red hot metal, what you would have come out with is a tupas, right? Some kind of figure or statue or something. Uh, and so then really what the word came to be used for was, and you see this word in our English word prototype. So if a blacksmith made something out of a hard metal, and it was a thing that they were going to use then as a model 
or a pattern that then they could make replicas of. So, so say they wanted uh, 500 of, of a kind of knife or something, and he would make a tupas of the exact knife they wanted to replicate, and then they would make all of the other knives using that pattern or that model. That's really what the word tupas means. It's a pattern. It's a model. And so it came to be used figuratively of... Anything in life that is an example or a pattern, a person could be a tupas for you. An event could be could be a, a tupas that was sort of you or you know you were supposed to watch it and learn and pattern your life after this thing. So any pattern, any model that was used to replicate either something physical or something in the human life. And so we use words like paradigm or pattern or again the word prototype would be good. Uh, one Greek scholar translated this these verses. These events occurred as formative models for us. Not pretty English, but it gets to the point. Mm-hmm. And all these things happen to them as formative models of broader patterns. That's Anthony, Anthony Thistleton. That's how he translated it. So that's the word that we wanted to discuss. And again, like you said, Mike, when you teach this, probably you're going to focus on Paul's main focus, which is Corinthians. Here's the things you should be learning from the Old Testament. Here's where you're off in your life. There's real sort of nitty-gritty application Paul's making. Yeah. And when you teach the scriptures, that's what you're going to focus on. But like you said, Mike, if you want to be a student of the scriptures, not only will you will you go, what is the teaching Paul is bringing forth to us? But you might stop if you have time and think, how is he bringing that teaching to us? Oh, it's not just what he's saying. I can learn by the way he makes his point. And that's what we wanted to talk about today. And this word gets us into how he's doing it. Yeah. And we think that's important because it affects really kind of two things we want to talk about. How we read the Bible. Yep. Really, these are, I guess, just two sides of the same coin. And then how we teach the Bible. So even for our church, like the way we teach the Bible and we encourage others to read the Bible we believe has a biblical basis and we see that in a passage like this with paul and particularly here's why we think that's important this this can be kind of subtle maybe but i i think the normal person particularly if you've lived in christian circles at all um, or you've heard any variety of teachers you're going to notice there's a difference in the way they approach things and it's because of this kind of underlying belief on what type of pattern or example the Old Testament gives us and the scriptures give us. So it you can get the feeling sometimes, here's where we kind of get to it, that when we read the Bible, there's, there's a spiritual sounding sentiment out there that we need to read about Jesus and his work of salvation in every biblical passage to be spiritually mature or faithfully biblically or faithful biblically, and truly honoring to God. And if we don't do that, then really we're being kind of legalistic, moralistic, or dishonoring to God. Like if I'm just taking a Bible passage from the Old Testament and teaching you not to complain, I could be legalistic. Yeah, it's it's a funny experience because... Most of us, when we start reading the Bible, assume that if you read, um, you know, for instance, Mike, you, you just cited it because Paul cites it. You're reading about the Israelites, so you're going through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you read about them complaining. I think it's a very natural, I'm going to say obvious way to read it, to think, oh, you know what, I really shouldn't complain. 
I, Lord, and you might stop and, and pray. You might be a young Christian. Lord, I complain all the time. Help me not to complain like the Israelites complained. Uh, but then you study the Bible more. This is what you're talking about. And you hear someone teach. And there's some great teachers out there that you might. I've, I've had this exact experience. And I'm running into guys who I respect. And I'm listening to, quite honestly, seminary classes because I found them free online. And they're saying, no, you, no, that's not the right way to read the Bible. It's just get yourself to the gospel. And they might point to the end of Luke 24, uh, where Jesus appears, or the middle of Luke 24, and it says he, he, he leads the guys on the road to Emmaus through the whole scriptures, showing them the things that apply to himself. Or in the book of John, when Jesus says to uh, some people around him, search the scriptures, and then they think you have life, but these are they which testify of me. Or he says to them, if you believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. So there are scriptures where Jesus himself says that if you read the Old Testament and you don't, you don't get to know him, you leave him out, then you're missing something. But, we, but the more you listen to different teachers, it's very common to run into people who, say, who take that truth and they universalize it. And they say, right, every Bible passage is about uh, Jesus. So, for instance, if you read David and Goliath, it's not about, you will hear people say, having courage and trusting God and having faith and trusting him in the face of insurmountable o- obstacles. No, if you read it that way, like you said, Mike, that's moralistic and legalistic. It's only supposed to point us to Jesus is the greater David. He beat the Goliath of sin and death. So read David and Goliath and just preach the gospel to yourself. Um, but the reason we're getting into this today is because Paul follows the more natural, I will say obvious pattern of reading the Bible in this passage. And then he gives a theological underpinning for it. First, he quotes a bunch of Old Testament stories in verses one through five, and he applies them in verses seven through 10 to, to very practical issues the Corinthians were facing. Don't lust after sexual impurity. Don't give in to temptation. Uh, don't complain. Don't think you stand when you might fall. And he just sort of name drops a bunch of stories from the Old Testament. And he says, if you were reading the Old Testament correctly, you would have read it to warn you about those issues. And then his justification for that is inspired by the Spirit. He says, that is because as God wrote these things, they become these tupas, these formative models, these prototypes for us. The Holy Spirit wrote the Old Testament through the prophets in such a way that when they recorded the history of what happened to God's people, it showed how God wanted to use the history of his people to help us today, to help the saints of all ages yeah. um, in all different ways. So yes, you can't leave Christ out. But as you were saying, Mike, there's a dozen, a hundred other lessons you're going to get from the Old Testament as well. Yeah, so you're you're not reading the Bible wrong when you get that initial impression of, as you said, Brian, man, these people were judged for complaining and grumbling. I should not be a complainer and a grumbler. Or uh, a positive or negative examples of faith or unbelief that we see all through the scripture. Now, we'll, we'll throw it out there. We we take it for granted there there is kind of abuses either way you can you can be overly moralistic and legalistic we we know that you can only take moral lessons and leave out Jesus Christ and how he relates to those things but on the other side and this is where we think the danger is you can 
say it's about Jesus, but only make it about one small segment of Jesus's work, which is typically the cross, which obviously nobody's going to say is unimportant. But what we believe is the work of Jesus actually expands beyond that, from the highest things to the lowest things. So uh, there's a guy named Dr. Michael Vlock, and he wrote a book called Dispensational Hermeneutics, uh, which is great. It's really talking about prophecy. Did the the young adults guys do that podcast? Or Not yet. Okay, we're, we're soon. seeding other podcasts here. So <laughs> they were actually going to read this book and talk about it. It's a great little book. I encourage you to get it and read it, but... He kind of sums up this this kind of issue because it relates to prophecy and other things yep. as well, how we read the Bible. This is good. So here, here's his, his little paragraph. Dispensationalism promotes a Christocentric view of interpretation if understood correctly. But since Christocentric has come to mean reading Jesus into every Bible text, perhaps the more helpful designation today is Christotelic and it's based kind of off the word we're talking about here. Yep. And and he just made that word up. The Greek the Greek term telos means purpose or end. Thus, a Christotelic approach asserts that all scripture is related to the person and work of Christ, even though Christ is not found in every passage. All scripture is not Jesus, but all scripture relates to him. Dispensationalism is Christotelic since it believes the correct use of grammatical historical hermeneutics will lead to seeing the importance of Jesus to all aspects of creation and history. If one is concerned that the dispensational view of grammatical historical hermeneutics will lead to missing Jesus, he need not worry. Dispensationalism captures the significance of the person and work of Jesus to all aspects of God's creation, kingdom, and covenantal purposes. His, his point there being, Jesus relates to more than just the gospel message on the cross. Yes. There's, there's more that God is doing. So yes, we would agree. Jesus is preeminent in the scriptures and primary, but it doesn't mean that there's nothing secondary then or that things that are secondary don't have any value. So Christ is the foundation, but how everything connects to the foundation differs. Yeah, we're not saying we need to devalue the cross. We're saying the scriptures tell us about the cross and then teach us all the different ways the work of Christ on the cross of the resurrection of Christ work out in our lives. And sometimes they're detailed. And so, Mike, to, to bring what you're saying right back to 1 Corinthians here, all we're really saying is Paul read the Bible this way. Yeah. Paul thought it was appropriate by the inspiration of the Spirit to apply the stories of the Old Testament 
to moral lessons and moral formation for the Corinthians. He thought that the work of Christ on the cross meant that now he could speak to a mixed group of Gentiles and Jews and tell them that they could learn from the examples in the Old Testament how to follow Jesus in the year and the day they were living in. And so when we read the Old Testament, you know, I just have a list here. Uh, There's all different ways this works as you read through the scriptures. And I think a lot of us think, oh, yeah, this is kind of how I was already reading anyway. And I love, we we like this sort of thing, Mike. We like when you go, yes, the Bible just confirmed that the way the Spirit led me in the beginning was was true. And he'll deepen it and sharpen it. So, for instance, here Paul's using a lot of anti-examples. So sometimes these patterns are anti-patterns. It's like what not to do. Right. there's other things. There's patterns of life situations which people who follow God are going to encounter. You read through like Joseph's life or David's life. It's not just the person of David or Joseph. It's the kinds of situations they move through. There's pictures of how wisdom and foolishness work out in all kinds of practical ways. You think of Solomon. There's all kinds of models of faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is about, right? You think of the life of Abraham. You're going to, uh, you read the Old Testament, there's types of people we're going to meet. There's like, you're going to meet people you you should you want as friends like you think of like Barzillai or Jonathan right mm-hmm. these patterns of good friends or uh types of people we should be wary of Rehoboam's friends Doeg some classic examples of people like watch out for people like that there's patterns of endurance obviously Job right um and all kinds of pictures about how God works in the world and our lives so God wrote his word so the history of God's people shows patterns for how he works in people's lives or another way to say it is he gave us patterns through which to understand our lives you know i think that one of the things i realized as i started studying this mike and i was thinking about this a lot when we studied through uh the old testament with the young adults portions of it if you don't have these god-inspired patterns populating your mind Mm -hmm. if i haven't let god teach me through his word how to think about all these things Something else will give me those patterns. And people yeah. do this, right? They'll, they'll right. say, well, I yeah, think it's kind of like the Matrix. That's what I think life is. And they find other patterns in movies or friends or ancient philosophies, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they populate their mind with those patterns, those types. I think what that shows us is God made us to think this way. He made us to see the world through a certain grid. And if the scripture is not my grid and the stories of the Old Testament are not a major part of that grid, I'll find other stories. And we have we see right now all around us in our world different stories, and it might be the, sto- the story of a philosopher or the story of you know a celebrity. Different stories people are are presenting through which people are reading their lives. And so we're saying is the 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 Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures so that the scriptures will be that grid and that pattern. And again, in the in the example we see in scripture, even with Jesus. He, he doesn't just say, in the Great Commission even, go and preach the gospel alone. He tells them to go, obviously share the gospel, but to teach everything that he commanded, which goes beyond the gospel. So there's a lot of other things that relate to Jesus. They connect to him, even though they're practical. So it's sometimes it can seem like you're almost a, a heretic to say like, no, you took the gospel too far. 
But guys use the word gospel for things the Bible doesn't actually use That's the word gospel That's a great point and an important for. point. So, so when we see that the initial message of the cross, which is the beginning and it's necessary, and we can't have these other things without it, but again, it doesn't then leave out secondary things. So once we have the gospel, we have Christ in us, Christ for us, Christ through us, Christ our forerunner, Christ coming again, Christ is the line of Judah, reigning king of David's line, handing the kingdom back to the father, sharing the throne yep. in the new heavens and new earth. All those things are not the gospel. They're post-gospel, the work right. of the spirit in that unique way. So in those places, there's a lot of other things that relate then. How Christ is our wisdom and sanctification and righteousness. Yes, there's a, there's a foundational part in the gospel, which is emphasized correctly. But the Bible goes beyond and touches other things. So, again, one, one of the places that's picked up in 1 Corinthians 9, which we're going to be heading into, it's a, a verse from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 25.4, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, even you just went through Deuteronomy, right? Yeah. Even in that, I don't know if you noticed, in that chapter, that verse seems out of context in the chapter even. In yeah. Deuteronomy, it's like a very weird connection how this verse is even connected with other stuff. It's not one of the verses you would think would be most often quoted in the New Testament, but it's quoted multiple times in the New Testament. And what Paul says there is, First Timothy 5.18, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. The labor is worthy of his wages. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 9 and 10, it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it the oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partakers of this hope. So Paul takes an Old Testament command that you should allow an ox to take some bites of grain while it's helping you. <laughs> right. And translates that to a higher level of what we know about Christ and God. God cares more about people than animals. So if you would teach us a certain type of respect toward an animal, of course that goes toward human beings. A human being is also worthy of their wages. If they labor, they should be able to receive from that labor. And we shouldn't hold people back from that. That's not the gospel, but it is Jesus Christ. Sure. That's who he is. That's what his character is like. So, you know, like that is what I think most of us would normally kind of read and say like, oh, okay, I get that. Yep. But then you have somebody telling you, <clears throat> well, that's not really the real emphasis. We should, should I be seeing Jesus in that passage? Is Jesus somewhere in the ox and the grain? Jesus is the ox who treads out the grain of God's will yeah. and God rewards him <laughs> with the food of his kingdom. You get those kinds of things. Yeah, and unfortunately, people go so far as to say, like, no, you can do this. You can get to Jesus from anywhere. You can. It becomes but, like a game. I, yeah, but unfortunately... Well, not unfortunately, we don't see Paul do that in the Bible. That's that's not what we actually see Jesus doing or the apostles doing. Yeah, and so like we talked about, Mike, the, the second part of this for people that teach the Bible obviously is really related here because you, you go into, you go into study the Word, you're going to teach the Word. It could be anything. It could be a Bible study. It could be a pastor at a church. And you know, most of us who do that, we study. We want to learn. Yeah. So you start getting all these different guys, reading different commentaries, and you can feel a pressure 
on your mind that if you really are are learned and you really understand the Bible, you'll just always take it straight to the gospel. And the skill you're supposed to learn, you'll feel this pressure in mind is, like you said, Mike, starting with any passage and getting right to Jesus on the cross, dying in your place mm-hmm. as fast as possible. And so David and Goliath is really about Jesus defeating sin and death. Cain and Abel is really about Jesus offering the better sacrifice for us. Abraham offering Isaac is about Jesus' willing sacrifice. Joseph is really about Jesus being betrayed by his brothers and raised to authority. Now that's partly true. Sure. Right? Those stories do point to Jesus. They are types of Christ. That's another way the word type is used, and we agree with that. Yes. Christ is the anti-type. That's the theological way this is talked about, the true version, and these are models, right? But to say that that means that there's nothing else in those stories, nothing else in the story of Joseph other than just it points to Jesus, is to ignore the fact that Paul teaches the Corinthians and lots of other places totally differently, right? So in chapter 10, he specifically says the stories in the Old Testament are there to teach Christians not to lust after evil things like the Israelites in those stories. And I actually, I pulled a bunch, right? Hebrews 11 teaches us how to live by faith. Uh, Romans 15, 4 says, whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So the Old Testament learns, uh, helps us learn to have endurance, Romans 4.23 says the story of Abraham believing in God helps us know that faith in Christ is the way to be justified. You said it, Mike, 1 Corinthians 9.9 is there about the muzzling of the ox. James 5.10-11 says the stories of Job and the prophets will help us endure difficulty. 2 Peter 2 uses the stories in Genesis to teach us that we should live in expectancy of the return of Christ and rest our hope on God's judgment on evil. And one of the most famous, maybe people wouldn't think of this, but I think it applies, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says that the Old Testament scriptures are there to help believers in all kinds of ways. It says it they're given for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. And that's really sort of the scriptural crystallization of what you've been yeah. saying mike there's a there's a whole bunch of things that the bible is there for verse 17 says in order that the man of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work so if that's what the bible teaches about itself the bible teaches me the new testament teaches me to read the old testament that way in addition to these other verses that we said about you know luke 24 and the john passages about jesus saying it's about him then we're being faithful teachers of scripture if we study to read the Old Testament in all those dimensions and we bring that out to people. And instead of just preaching the gospel from the Old Testament and then, because every pastor is going to tell their church how to live. Yes. Every pastor is going to give their church advice. Yes. So if if you can't get that advice from the scriptures, because yeah. that's moralistic, you're just going to have to sort of say what they should. You should true. conduct yes. your marriage this way and you should live by faith this way. But all we're saying is, well, the New Testament actually tells us we have everything we need in the Old Testament. And not only in the laws and wisdom of the Old Testament, but also in the stories of the Old Testament. And so we can use the New Testament to teach us how to study and teach and read and live by the stories in the Old Testament yeah. as well. So that's why I said these two are connected, right? Because if I can see this and I read the Bible that way, obviously when it leads me to Christ, that's wonderful. And there's plenty of places where you have your eyes open. Like I read C.H. McIntosh on Leviticus and I'm like, wow, look at how yeah. he sees Christ here. I want to see Christ like that. Yes. And you can feel like it's less spiritual to just be like, man, I don't know what this is talking about, or I just need to stop complaining. I need to love my neighbor better. Right, yeah. yes. So 
the reality is, yes, Christ is there in plenty of passages, but how he is there, the way we relate to him, it's not always the same. You know, what happens in Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22 is different than what's happening in Deuteronomy 25. Yes. So, and all the scriptures are supposed to go together. God put it together on purpose. Like you said, the Holy Spirit picked out specific things to be patterns for us. There were more Old Testament stories. I think sometimes we can forget that. You'd realize God did other things in that time. <laughs> there were plenty that of weren't things recorded, yes, yes. that God could have put down through those years that he didn't because the things he gave us, we don't need endless pictures. We need some so that as I live my life and I marshal up scripture to deal with situations, I marshal up the right things to help me. So to see Jesus only in a gospel sense, like his work on the cross alone in every passage actually leads to false interpretations. And it leads to a bad example of how to read the scripture. Yes. So it will work sometimes and work really well sometimes, but will also not work certain places and lead to incorrect conclusions on what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do in certain places. So if with the ox, right? If I'm trying to see Christ there and I don't see his care for his creation and then his higher creation, I miss something about Jesus. Right. You're actually seeing less. I'm actually seeing less. And I don't I don't want to miss something on him. So this is where, you know, where our church is going to teach the Bible a certain way because we believe the Bible tells us to do that. So there are some guys who will come to the full counsel when Paul says he taught the full counsel of the word of God. They just make that the most important thing, the, the gospel. gospel. And they overlay that everywhere. And what happens is you just totally forget what's the very normal thing. The common person who reads Paul's writings even says, even sees that he doesn't do that. He talks about so many different, he talks about the gospel, yes, especially in Romans 1 through 8. But then even in Romans, he talks about Israel. He talks about the church having issues with what they're eating, matters of conscience, spiritual gifts. He Paul deals with so many practical things. And I don't know if anybody cared about the gospel more than Paul. Right. And every, <laughs> important to say. every letter of Paul's is not the gospel in that sense. He talks about marriage, singleness, all types of sins, virtues, church leadership, preaching, serving, even the specific things like in Romans where he's talking about the gospel, he talks about Abraham and he says in Romans four twenty three and 24, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So he's literally saying God recorded Abraham's life a specific way yep. to help us understand faith and works-based righteousness. Now that's tied to the gospel, but it's not exactly the same thing. So in all these places, we, we miss something if we can't see that, yes, the gospel is important, it is the door, it is the foundation, it's the beginning of so many other things in the Christian life. It is the central work of Jesus, but it's not the only work of Christ. He's coming again. He's interceding for us now. There's so many other things that are still happening and doing. I, I think very often, too, of Philippians chapter 2, where 
Paul talks about the cross as an example in attitude. He uses it as a moral, a moralistic encouragement for yes. us. Look at the example, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's not preaching the gospel to believers. He's saying that to believers to take the cross even as an example, which people would not like. And yes, that can be abused. There can be people who go so crazy that there's no atonement in the cross. It's only a nice moral example for us. So that's wrong. We we agree with that. But then if we go the opposite direction, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And we're also missing something yeah. in how we teach the Bible. And the practical effect, for, I don't know about you, Mike, we, we've known each other long enough that you're going to know what I'm talking about. The practical effect for this for me, as I began to see this, which I don't know why I ever didn't see it, but I think I began to see it more clearly in passages like this and working through it. The practical effect was that I got more and more excited about the Old Testament. You know, you go through phases in your Christian life, and I think there might have been a phase, and part of it, to be quite honest, was some of the teaching I was listening to, where you like you stop, it's you you think I don't really know what the point of reading the Old Testament is. Like almost it becomes like I'm not really sure why all that is, all those laws and even all those stories yeah. and. So maybe when you're first saved, you're like, oh yeah, I need to read David because I need help, like you know, getting through the difficulties of life. But you can progress, so to speak, into a a time where you're like, we're really, if the whole Bible was just the Book of Romans, like I'd be okay, you know, that's all I really need. Oh, and some Gospels too. I gotta have the Gospels, I guess, because that's about Jesus. But one <laughs> of the things this has done for me, I think, is get well. I know is just get more and more excited about the Old Testament. And really what I mean is more excited about the whole Bible. And so that's a practical effect. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing is there's an exhortation. Watching Paul and Peter and James, we quoted three different authors who do this in the New Testament, do this, ex exhort Christians this way. I think that like a strong takeaway for all of us should be, again, to sink our minds into Scripture more and more. Notice that the world seeks to form us by stories. It Again, it tells us stories to shape our brains. They come in movies. They come in history class. They come through the news. And so Satan knows how reality works. He knows how the human brain works. And so he bombards us with stories. And so our lifeline is to sink our minds into the entire Bible, including all. Yeah all of those stories you're safe there you're safe in the stories of scripture live in them and live in the commands and the poetry and the wisdom and the prophecies as well but just live in the stories and just just get in like the story of david should be way more uh present to our minds than the story for instance that Karl marx tells about the world one of those stories is trustworthy and true and you don't have to worry in the middle of it and one of them will lead you astray and that just goes in a hundred different ways yeah and that's why we, again, see the value in preaching the word, the whole word of yes. God, because what it does is it gives somebody a whole Jesus Christ, that I'm not only focusing on the one thing that he did that was central that everything else is connected to. I'm also focusing on everything else connected to it, which also tells me something about Jesus. And a lot of times, they're the really practical and personal things in our lives as we're going through there. And I think it's unique, too. Like, Paul knew the word gospel, but he, again, he doesn't use it the way everybody tends to nowadays. 
he he speaks about the word of God and particularly to leaders to Timothy commands him to preach the word because he knows then all of those things will come the examples will come and the pictures of Christ will come both of them will be in their proper place and they augment and they complement one another it is the work of God all through the scripture yep. which of course is unique in Christ but there's there's a larger element to it that's why 1 Timothy 4:13-16 says till I come give attention to not just the gospel to reading to exhortation to doctrine all yep. types of teachings take heed to yourself in the doctrine continue in them for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you which is great for any teacher that's what I want. I want to be saved. I want the people <laughs> who listen to me to be saved. And in first or second Timothy four, we know these words. He says, Preach the word, not just the gospel. Paul knew the word gospel. Preach the, Preach word. the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Not just evangelize. He'd say to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. But this is different. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, will heap to themselves teachers, turn away their ears from the truth, and be turned aside to, this is the point you were making, fables, to other types of stories yeah, and things. Right in there. You should teach them the types of things that will cause them to be convinced, rebuked, to be taught, long-suffering. The Word of God gives us all those things. So, all the things that we need, encouragements to faith and courage, fortitude, mercy, compassion, practical things like hard work, yep. you know, eternal reward, practical reward, also the wonderful, you know, warnings that we need in places toward, like in First Corinthians 10, sexual immorality or complaining or unbelief or idolatry. I'll get all those things, and they'll all be connected to Christ in some way. And certainly there will be places where I learn more about him particularly. And there are people that are gifted at that, right? But we're not all the John Bunyans of the world right. <laughs> who can look at maybe any passage and pull out something really unique. But like I said, I, you know, I, I love it. I need help. Some of these guys really help me see Christ in certain areas, and I appreciate that. But I don't always only see the cross in every passage. I also see the work after the cross, what the cross has procured or opened up or given to us. And I think the preaching of the word, the whole word of God, gives that to a whole believer. Yep. And so we know we're on solid ground to say all that and see all that because we see it right here in the scriptures. We see it in this passage you're going to be teaching in First Corinthians 10. And then, and then we don't, it's not just a one-off. When you look for it, you realize, oh, it's all over the New Testament. And so the Holy Spirit can say, yep, you can relax. You can read the whole Bible and you can get what you need for all of life. Uh, and that is not ignoring Jesus. That's honoring the work of Christ and following the lead of the Holy Spirit who wrote the scriptures. You know, I was thinking as we were talking, Mike, I never have to be more bl biblical than the Bible. <laughs> I don't have to be, I don't have to say, well, you know, I'm not understanding. The no, if the scripture does it and leads me to do it, I don't have to worry that I'm not doing it right. Yes. I'm literally following the lead of the apostles inspired by the Spirit. And I think, just so, you know, we'll 
throw out the disclaimer here. We don't think everybody who does that is evil. We think a lot of, <laughs> like, there are a lot of believers who have just had that example and they don't know any better. There are also a lot of believers who are reacting against, like, bad doctrine or abuses or legalistic situations yep. that they've been given. So they're focusing on the cross. And and that that being said, like, that's great, but there can be a harmful element even in that. I can shade something about Jesus Christ in, in believers' lives that they're actually supposed to see and confuse them. So if you're reading the Bible on your own and you feel like somebody's trying to give you a different emphasis, you're hearing and teaching this telling you you need to find something else there, and you you feel in your heart like, eh, you're, <laughs> you're probably right. You're probably, that's, that's probably why you're feeling it because, yeah, Jesus is there, but maybe not in the exact way they're saying. Jesus is there in how he's giving you a warning through an example. That's, that's how sure. the Holy Spirit is working in your life. The Spirit of Christ, yes. Because he cares about those things too. Yep. So there you have it. Tupas and the examples that Paul uses for us in 1 Corinthians 10. Applications for reading, applications for studying and teaching. And so we hope that you are blessed as you continue to read and study God's word with us through 1 Corinthians. Yeah. See you guys. See you.